really say, Siri, we get to the end of something. So we have a couple subjects left. This one, this subject, and then there'll be a final subject. We're not going to tell you what it is. So you have to come back and see what it is. We'll be in the um, the issue today is going to require two sermons. I thought I could do it in one until I started working on it and I realized, no, can't happen. Uh, because today I'm going to need to give you the biblical background and basis for the Old Testament for the subject we're going to talk about. Then next Sunday I have to cover the most important New Testament chapter on the subject for you to get a complete picture of what I'm talking about. There's a lot of information. But it's very relevant uh, both to understanding the overall plan of God in the Bible as well as some current and future issues that affect our faith. The subject was actually suggested some time ago to me by Stacy, who honestly probably could have just come up and preached his message himself, probably right from just the way he wrote. Um, it's a subject he's pretty passionate about, and there's a good reason. And we talked about it, and then he emailed me three pages of notes. Um, which formed the initial skeleton of this message in my next one. So my thanks to him, uh, you know, for finding time to give me his thoughts, even though I know he was spending most of his time fooling and arguing over his job. So, uh, I understand. But in the meantime, we found some time. I should take an action. Um, the question that we want to answer the next few Sundays is the question of, is God really done with Israel and the Jewish people? Now, depending on your church background and your theological bent, you may have encountered this issue before. So, for example, if you grew up Lutheran or Presbyterian or Reformed, or strongly Reformed, for example, you likely would have heard somewhere along the line that the church takes Israel's place. Or the idea that they would say something that the church is now spiritual Israel. If you're more bent toward a more traditional Baptist eschatology, then you've heard things about Israel and the end times and the new temple and that sort of thing. And so those are sort of things that, that all kind of fit into this subject. Now to answer this question for you, I, I think first we have to have some historical context regarding Israel's troubled history. They have to understand that Israel is both an ethnicity and a religion rolled into one. Judaism being the religion and Jewish being the ethnicity. And that's all related biblically to a particular piece of land and the city of Jerusalem in that land. And we're going to see why here in a second when we talk about the covenants that I made with Israel. But I think it's pretty fair to say that there's probably not many people or a faith that has existed as long as Judaism that has been more persecuted than the Jews. From their exodus from Egypt, which we're talking, you know, 1446 BC, approximately. It's been a long time ago. My mom was in there. She can't hear The establishment of the kingdom and its unification under David to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. For that entire time, Israel is under constant pressure from her neighbors. And peace was rare. War was the status quo. They probably never had a period of peace longer than 40 years of Solomon's reign. A 
Otherwise, always complicated. Now, for sure, part of that had to be simply because the, the land itself, if you think about it geographically, and I'm sure you all know where Israel is, sits right between the routes that you go from the north to the south through Israel, or if you go from the Middle East to the north and south through Israel, or if you're coming up from the land of Egypt and going somewhere else, guess where you're going to go through? You guessed it, Israel. So it's kind of on the way everywhere. But there are people who are singled out for particular derision. You only have to go to your Old Testament and read the very short little prophet Obadiah in the book short. I don't know if he was short or not. Okay. You only got to read out Obadiah to see how when the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem, the neighboring nations took advantage and relished the destruction and enslavement of the Jews. After their scattering in 70 AD, so we're jumping forward in history a few hundred years, believe me, there was nothing but, there was not any peace for the Jews between the destruction of Jerusalem and the time of the Romans. So the Romans, <coughs> the Romans, they can't even talk to what? Too much sun yesterday. When the Romans had had enough of Israel trying to shake off Roman rule, they just came and killed thousands of Jews and destroyed the temple for the second time. And the Jews were frequently kicked out of various cities and regions in the Roman Empire, depending on the particular whims of the emperor. For example, the emperor Hadrian. In the first part of the second century, so this is around 115, 120 AD, he forbid throughout the entire empire all Jewish activities. And anyone that conducted any Jewish activities or had a synagogue or did anything Jewish or even tried to dress like a Jew or wear their hair like a Jew or anything, he either imprisoned or executed if they refused to follow among God. The Jews were frequently, much like Christians, we often talk about Christian persecution in the Roman Empire, but the Jews were also often blamed for things that happened and then expelled from places or worse where they had settled after the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, the diaspora of the Jews uh, spread particularly north from Israel and eastward throughout Europe, which is why you end up with huge enclaves of Jews in Russia and Ukraine and those places. And every few centuries, there's always some new persecution. For example, in the Middle Ages in Europe, so we're talking a thousand, you know, maybe approximately, there was full-scale persecution of the Jews in all sorts of places in Europe where they were expelled from cities, they were tortured and forced to convert to other religions, there were massacres, all sorts of stuff. Uh, they were often completely exiled from entire countries, and of course, that persecution reached its peak during the time of the Crusades, because during the time of the Crusades, we often think of the Crusades as a European Catholic Christian thing versus Islam. But the Jews kind of got swept up in the middle of that because the Muslims didn't like the Jews, and apparently the Catholic Christians didn't like the Jews either. So if you were Jewish during the Crusades, you were getting on both sides. So really very bad situation. Then the Black Death comes along in the mid-14th century, right? The plague, the bubonic plague, kills about half the population of Europe. And the Jews were often made as scapegoats. There were rumors that were spread that they caused the bubonic plague by deliberately poisoning wells. 
And so hundreds of Jewish communities, entire Jewish cities, towns, were destroyed by violence during the Black Death persecution. Pope Clement VI uh, tried to protect them by papal edict in 1348, but even after he said stop doing that, 900 Jews were burned alive in the city of Strasbourg. The plague hadn't even come to that city. So I go on and on. I mean, there's dozens upon dozens of historical studies. In modern times, you only have to look at the hatred the renewed state of Israel has faced since the post-World War II state of Israel was created. After the horrors of the Holocaust, you would think that given their own piece of land, they would have gotten some peace. But Israel, the nation, had barely known peace in the 75 years or so since it was given back a portion of the land promised to Abraham and the United States, or the United Nations, declared it a free state. And even today, right, right to today in America, anti-Semitism is on the rise. There is a March 2023 CNN article I read in prepping for the sermon that said in 2022, there were almost 3,700 confirmed cases of anti-Jewish violence in the United States. Confirmed cases. Like somebody got arrested and convicted for eight times cases. Maybe you saw how this week, remember, I don't know if you remember the synagogue shooting in 2018 in Pittsburgh? Well, that guy was sentenced to death just this past week. I just read it this morning, and I had to modify the sermon this morning. I just read it. How do Hollywood English for Jamie Foxx is? Okay? Well, apparently he got himself in trouble because on Friday he posted some sort of anti-Jewish Instagram post. He got called out for it. Now, let's tell you all this. This is not to say in the past, the Jews were wholly innocent. Or even that the modern state of Israel is perfect, it's not. Far from it. I'm not trying to give this morning some apologetic that literally everything Israel does or has done in its entire history is justified somehow. Okay? No believing here. Don't see this on the internet someday. And go, well, Pastor Orwell said the Jews should be able to do whatever they want to do first the persecuted No! But history shows that wherever and whenever Jewish people went, some sort of persecution is soon to follow. My only explanation for that is that demonic forces have conspired to work against God's people. I can come up with no other Yet, despite that, they persist with their unique ethnicity and identity intact. They persist. And I think the only explanation for that is that God is not done with you. And he still has plans for them as people. Which I think I can support from the scriptures. Because I also know that God is always faithful. Now, having said that, 
you might be asking yourself, and I think this is a good question, you need to ask yourself, why should this matter to us? I mean, what's the big deal? I am pretty sure that no one in here is doing it. I've known you all long enough. Some of you I've known for extremely long time. And I know you're not even here. I know the other body is tonight. We went to this whole thing. Anyway, um, I love you, Nicholas. <laughs> and I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure that no one in here, again, I know you all well enough to know that none of you wish violence on the Jews or, or any other ethnicity for that matter. I mean, I don't picture any of you sitting around at home thinking, you know, I really hate those Jews. So why should we get invested in this?
Abram at that time, to follow him and move to the land which will become Israel. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God comes to Abram. He makes this covenant. He promises him what? Three things. He's going to have a whole bunch of descendants. He's going to be a great nation. He didn't have a kid at this time. Right? He was like 80 years old. No kid. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham somehow. Well, we know that's the children of Jesus. And there's going to be land. Go to the land I show you. I'm going to give you this land. Make fun of the land. Okay? Notice the covenant is basically completely unconditional. God doesn't place like some sort of burden on Abraham. He doesn't say, okay, you got to do this, 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 and this. You got to go to church every Sunday and put 10 bucks in your offering plate and go to the plot. In fact, the only burden he really puts on Abraham is what? Abraham's got to pack his stuff and move. Because he can't really give him the land Now, the covenant is kind of ratified and renewed in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, we get the land. He, he, God gives to Abraham the boundaries of the land he promises to the land of Israel. And so here's a map that has these boundaries. Those are the boundaries that God gives to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. We ain't going to read it because we don't have You go look it up if you don't believe me. Okay? But hopefully, though, we'll be dumb enough to put an actual map up there if I didn't think I could verify it. <laughs> um, do you notice a problem with this map? Anyone? Yeah! Has Israel ever occupied that much land in the Middle East? Uh, you know. Well, oh, this, right? You know how much land Israel has occupied? Ooh, that little part right there. When they were really kind of, you know, under Solomon, they had a little bit more out here and a little bit more up here and a little bit more over here. The promise to Abraham has yet to be fulfilled. Because they've never had this big of a chunk of land. Israel's never had its full lot, its full boundaries. That's the first covenant. I have made Abraham great people, and the process of blessing the nations has begun because that's Jesus. But the land has never been fully fulfilled the way God promised Second covenant is what we call the Mosaic covenant, or as you might know, the Old Testament law. Right? That covenant describes how God and Israel as a nation are related to one another. So that's a conditional covenant, right? Because God says, okay, you got to do these things. And when you do these things, I'll bless you these ways. But when you don't do these things, I'm going to punish you in these ways. You do the things, you get blessed. If you don't, you're going to suffer. But here's the key with that. And even when they fail, the covenant is still in effect. uses their 
the reason the entire book of Judges and the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles all go the way they do. Because everything in those books is an interaction between God, the people of Israel, and their neighbors, and how it's going to play out according to law. Even after their exile, right? 586 BC, you get exiled to Babylon, yada yada. God is still faithful to them and continues, even to this day, to be faithful to them in many ways. Third covenant, Davidic covenant, right? King David. 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. <clears throat> David wants to give you some background for this, for, for this covenant. David, David, David's got peace right at this point. He's really loaded. So the guy, I think I should build God a temple. And God's kind of like through the prophet Nathan. This is what God says through the prophet Nathan. Now therefore, you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you whenever you went to cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed. How much? No more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. But the Lord, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, which will come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. You shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. So the initial fulfillment of that promise is who? Solomon. Right? Does Solomon need to build the Lord a house? Does Solomon have three small enemies? That's the initial fulfillment. Okay? And I will establish the throne of this kingdom forever. That would not be Solomon. I will be to him a father, he should be to me a son, and he commits iniquity. This is Solomon. I will discipline him with the rod of men, and will with the sons of men. For my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established for how long? Forever. Once again, God makes unconditional promises. This time to David. David's going to have a great name. There will eventually be a time when Israel will be saved and secure in their land, right? No more. We have trouble no more. A permanent kingdom with a ruler whose throne is established forever, forever through one of David's descendants. Not Solomon, he was Solomon, he could live forever, he could establish forever. And for sure, to this day we know that David, his name is great. He's certainly considered the greatest king of Israel. But Israel doesn't have peace and the security that God promises in the covenant. They don't dwell securely in their own place. They don't have a ruler on the throne or over the kingdom forever. Now, the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the promised Davidic king, which is not by certain times. But at the present time, Jesus doesn't sit on David's throne, ruling over the kingdom of Israel, saving and secure from his enemies. 
be fulfilled. It'll be a time of great peace and prosperity. If you want a taste of what that time's going to be like, go home this afternoon, get your Bible up. You know, you got one. You can download one for free on your phone if you want to have one. Read Micah chapter 4. Or go read, like, the last third of the book of Isaiah and see what that's going to be like. The final covenant in the Old Testament is called the New Covenant. Announced in Jeremiah, also mentioned in Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, 31 and 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And what covenant is that? The Mosaic covenant, right? That's the one that's made when they come out of Egypt. This covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those after those days, right? Not at that point, but after those days, whatever those days are. The Lord is Lord. I'll put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord. But they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So in this covenant, God promises that there will come a future time when he brings about a new relationship with Israel. That's what a covenant is, right? A new relationship. Uh, which will take the place of the old relationship that the people repeatedly broke. The Mosaic covenant. This new one will replace the old one. It's a future thing for Israel because he says, in those days. And then promises to put his law in their hearts. And they will all know him as their God. All of them. Right? From the least to the greatest. Of course, we know it's not happened yet. Because just think of how many ethnic Jews are basically functional or actual atheists. This has not happened yet. They do not know their God. If you go to the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus is the one who brings about this new covenant. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he, that's Jesus in this chapter, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the, under the what? First covenant. What's the first covenant? The Mosaic covenant. Right? Because what covenant does the new covenant replace? It replaces the Mosaic covenant. Okay? So who's he got to talk about here? He's referring to the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Clearly, the reference is to Jesus as beginning and the mediator of the process of the new covenant for the Jewish people. Right? The first covenant is with Israel. No, me. Was I under the Mosaic law? No. I was Jewish. I did, I did not come out of Egypt. Even my mother did not come out of Egypt. She wouldn't have liked me. Too much sun. Too much sun. You had sunscreen back then. She didn't want to stand. You can't from the wilderness. The idea of camping is like Marriott and Tom Des Moines and my service and ballet. Four years in the wilderness, not bad. I mean, going to the cabin on Sunset Lake last summer was probably pushing the first time. Um, 
covenant is also ultimately with the Jewish people. So that leads us to the big question. And I like to leave you with a big question, but then you have to come back and see if you can answer something. So God made these covenants and promises about the future of Israel, partially fulfilled, not fully fulfilled. He's been faithful to all his past covenants and promises. So we should rightly assume that he will be faithful to those things that have not yet transpired. And Jesus, who is the promised Messiah of the Jews, as well as the Savior of the world, is the one who is to fulfill those promises that are yet to be fulfilled, right? He's the Davidic king, he's going to be on the throne, he's the mediator of the new covenant, that's what it is. So what about us? And why does it seem that God is not fulfilling those promises at this time? Those promises. Why not get it done? I understand that, but how do we end up as part of this whole deal? How do we end up under the new covenant, for example? To understand that, we have to spend some time next week in one of the most significant New Testament, probably the most significant New Testament chapters regarding God's relationship currently to his people, the Jews, and that is Romans chapter 11. I would encourage you to read that chapter before next Sunday, because we're going to spend some time next Sunday digging hard in Romans chapter 11. Well, I'll tie up the questions and loose ends so that we can all understand God's faithfulness, His mercy, and His graciousness, not only to His people, but to those who are grafted into the Jewish New Covenant. You think of the Jewish New Covenant as a tree we've been grafted in as a Gentile man. And we'll discuss that next week. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that in the midst of your promises and your plans for your people, people we be loved, the apple of your eye, you did not forget about us. Father, that you brought us also into the kingdom. The Lord is the part of the kingdom now. The heavy topic is lots of things about to know the Lord has I pray that you would help us to first and foremost understand your graciousness and mercy, your plans for your people who you love. And help us understand our relationship to those people who support us, love, love, and support us. And next week we can talk about specifically. Well, thank you. Bless you.